I tell you what, this church is full of amazing people. You're one of them. And uh, Sarah, that worship again was just something else, the whole team, of course. But the way you lead that is, is really fantastic. Ricky and Marcel, you know, I believe God's brought you to another level. And, and this is what I really felt a charge, and, and for you particularly, Ricky, but for both of you, pray for this woman. You know, be a prayer warrior, and, and for both of them, but for her, there's something about just being, standing there uh, behind them and for them. God's doing such great things, isn't he? Yeah. Building his church. Eight campuses. Woo! I tell you what, it's better than just being in a boring church when nothing's happening, there's no growth, there's no life, because the kingdom of God is always about growth. And you live in a country, we live in a country that has seen such great moves of the Spirit of God. And today I'm going to talk about one of them. Some of you might have heard the story before, but I don't particularly care. Because the Bible says this in Psalm 71, Let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. You know, the whole Bible is a record of, of the workings of God in the lives of people. And they're written there so we can read about Moses and Abraham and, and Paul and all of these people so that we can be reminded again and again and again that God is faithful, God is working for us. But you know, we have stories in Aotearoa, New Zealand, that are outstanding. Perhaps one of the greatest moves in any nation in the world has happened here in the 1830s. And I'm going to just pick one of those stories to share with you. In, in uh, Christmas uh, 1814, Samuel Marsden uh, came up to the Bay of Islands, preached the first message uh, there. It didn't come as some uh, European coming in, into New Zealand and where he's not wanted. He came at the invitation of the Maori people. And a great crowd gathered from all over the Bay of Islands to hear the message. And he spoke Tihara Nui, glad tidings of great joy that will be for all of the people. And he sowed a seed that day that was watered and nurtured and cared for in different ways and eventually spread through the country. Initially, it was the missionaries, mostly in the north, and then as they were invited to different tribes, a missionary couple would go and serve in different areas. But you know, the gospel wasn't carried through the country by the missionaries alone. In fact, the, the Maori say, the Tangata Whenua say this, the missionaries brought Christianity to this country, but it was our people that gave it to each other. That is so important to understand and such a reality. And in fact, you know, in many nations, the gospel is spread that way. I think of China, you know, in 1953, every missionary, every foreign missionary was expelled from China by the government. But, you know, if you read the history of, of Christianity in China, you'll find that in the 50s there was revival all over China because the Chinese people were communicating the gospel to each other and God broke through in a significant way. The seed had been sown and a great sacrifice had been paid, but the harvest came in God's amazing timing. You know, Jesus said this. He's our king, and he said this. And my first point for you today is you must be born again. In Ezekiel, 
the scripture says this, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. You know, we can read that and it's almost like God speaking to one person, but he was speaking to a nation. And, you know, the thing is, a nation can be changed. Well, how can it be changed? It's changed one person at a time. You know, and God transforms one life, it affects others. And then when two or three get together, it can affect a workplace, a school, a university. You know, God can move through a nation. And he does that. I can still remember the day I gave my heart to Christ. I was alone at home. I'd been reading the Bible for a few months and just to, because I was seeking God and looking for answers. And one day I was, I was there and I was, I was reading the word in, in a room by myself. And, and the verse said this, you know, when you pray, go into a room by yourself and close the door. And I realized I was in a room by myself. Suddenly I felt the presence of God was there with me. And I tell you what, I didn't know what to do. But I've been sitting in bed reading and I, I slid down on my knees. And then after a little while, I thought, oh, mate, I should pray. But then I thought, I didn't know what to say. You know, I mean, I never prayed since I was a kid. And uh, so I opened my eyes and looked at the Bible again. And the next verse said this, when you pray, say. I thought, oh, that's a hint. That, that's a help. Somebody's around. So I prayed the Lord's Prayer, which was those verses. And, and, you know, Christ came into my life. The Holy Spirit transformed me. Over the next half hour, three quarters of an hour, I can't explain exactly what happened. But there was transformation. You know, the stony heart, the hardness, the language, the habits. So many things were broken and changed. And a softness and a love. And, and I realized God loved me despite how I was as a person a transforming moment. You know, you must be born again. You've got to receive Christ into your life to make him your king, to experience the change and the transformation that sets you free. God does this to individuals, and then it spreads and touches different lives. In the 1800s, New Zealand, amongst the Maori people, it was tribal. And so there was... Uh, tribal warfare, there was the what's called the, the law of the Utu, the cost. Some people say it's a revenge, but the word Utu actually means the cost, where, you know, if one tribe had, had, had a battle against another tribe and someone was killed, then they would take up an Utu. The cost was a life for a life. So therefore, they had to retaliate. And so this continued. This was New Zealand history at that particular time. The mission established themselves up in the north of New Zealand, but the paramount chief, the great chief, Hongi Hika, uh, in the north, made this statement. He said, Christianity might be suited to a nation of slaves, but was irrelevant to one of warriors. The slaves weren't European slaves. They were the, the tribal slaves from, from the battles that happened. So you imagine if the paramount chief says, a statement like that, you're a warrior, you're not going to become a Christian easily, are you? Well, a few did, and some of the chiefs up there did as well. So the Christianity did spread, but it was very slow. They, they say they only baptized 50 believers in the first 20 years. So there was a lot of sowing by the missionaries. 
But, you know, transformation was going to happen in the next 10 years. There was going to be a tremendous uh, change. In fact, in, in about five or six years, two-thirds of the Maori population in New Zealand would become Christian and be actively worshipping uh, in, in their local churches. Today's story is a story of the power of forgiveness and transformation. It's the story of a little girl called Tarori, very special little girl. She only lived 12 years. And, but she was uh, somebody that really, really loved the Lord. In fact, her story always reminds me of when Mary got the alabaster jar and poured the ointment over Jesus' head and ran down and she knelt down and wiped uh, his feet with her tears and, and with the ointment that fell down. And Jesus said about that incident that this story will be told all over the world wherever the gospel is preached. Well, Tarori's story is New Zealand's story that should be repeated again and again and again to remind us of what God has done. In the 1830s, the chief Tiwaharoa from the Waikato, uh, the, just out of Morrinsville, Matamata area, he invited missionaries to come. And uh, they sent him uh, Alfred and Charlotte Brown. Nobody knows the reason behind him asking. Some people say it was for trade, it was to get information of what was happening in New Zealand. But you know, underlying the hand of God was just amazing in this. He arrived in 1834. And the first night that he arrived, the chief Nakuku and his daughter Tarori came to him and said, we want you to teach us the Bible. Now he was surprised that their first request was to be taught the Bible. Well, the very next day, he set up a school. Well, they didn't have blackboards or whiteboards. They certainly didn't have computers and all the stuff that we complain that we haven't got today or we do have today. But he went down by the riverbank. I've stood in that place where he's used a stick to draw letters in the sand to teach them the alphabet and taught them Torio. The missionaries didn't go to teach the Maori people English and European customs. They came to live amongst the Maori to teach uh, Torio as a written language and to translate the Bible and use that as a teaching book to uh, minister to, to uh, the, the Maori people. And so he did this after four months of teaching them. One night, Chief Nakuku came to Alfred Brown and says, I want to make Jesus the chief of my life, the king of my life. What he didn't know was that in that same afternoon, his daughter Tarori had gone to Charlotte Brown and said exactly the same words, I want to make Jesus a chief in my life. Alfred Brown <coughs> gave Nakuku a gospel of Luke, and it would have been around about this size. And uh, Nakuku wrote his name on the inside cover, and then he gave it to his daughter, Tarori. For Tarori, this was her great treasure. She, built, she knit a little flax uh, kit, and she wore it around her neck, as was often the custom in those days if you had green stone or treasures, that's where you would wear it. So wherever you traveled, it would be with you. This became Tarori's treasure. So the message that was coming, and, and Tarori and um, Nakuku would go with the missionary to all the different marais through the, through the tribe. 
and, and they would speak there on different nights, often the gatherings of two or three hundred people. To Rory started to memorize large parts of the scripture. And so she would stand up in front of these gatherings and just quote, uh, you know, chapters of, of the Gospel of Luke. She had a great gift of communication. And of course, just the fact that she was a young child uh, doing that was very, very powerful. And transformation happened through the tribe. So the message that came to the tribe was about love and peace. But war was still in the air. There was an ongoing conflict with the tribes from Rotorua to Yarrawa. And there had been some raiding parties in the area. And Chief Nakuku decided it wasn't safe to stay where they were. And so he decided to take the whole tribe over to Tauranga, to his cousin's pa, which was much stronger. And so they set out to travel over there one night over the Komai Ranges. They got as far as the Wairiri Falls and decided to set up camp. They lit a fire, had food, probably sang some hymns, and maybe she read to Rory read from uh, the Gospel of Luke. And then they settled down for the night, but they spread out through the forest in case a raid came that night, and then they wouldn't all be caught in one place, and they would have a chance to, to get away. And sure enough, during the night, Chief Uita from Rotorua, they saw the campfire. And so they uh, decided to attack this group. And anyway, they, um, Nakuku, they, they heard the warriors were there. He picked up his young son and yelled out to the tribe and ran up to, to run further up the track where it was easier to be defended. When they, all the tribe gathered up there, they realized that one person was missing, and that was Tarori. When in the morning, when it was safe to go back down to where they'd slept, the tribe went back down, and Nakuku's worst fears were realized. There was his daughter, Tarori, lying where she had slept that night, and she had been killed by Uita, the chief of the tribe. Nakuku picked his daughter up and carried her all the way back, 15 kilometers back, to their, to their marae in uh, Waharoa, and there they held a tangi for her. And, you know, on that way back, something happened on that journey back while he was carrying his daughter. There was some conversation with God that was very intimate and very, very powerful. And when Nakuku had arrived back at the, at the, at the Mirai, he had already made a decision in his heart about what the future would be and where the tribe would go. So they held a tangi for, uh, for Torori. And the warriors started to call out for Utu, for the cost to be paid. A life had been taken. The chief's daughter has been taken. We must do something about this. The elder who was telling me the story, Mokoroa, he was telling me, as, as he said, he said, you know, our tribe is um, known for its for its being warriors. Our river is the Waitoa River. And he said, Waitoa stands for a, a strong warrior, a strong tree. But he said, it's known for flooding. And he said, when it floods, the river becomes really swift. And he said, the motto of our tribe is this, it's swift and it's strong. And he said, that's how we do warfare. So if something 
offended us in any way, we would retaliate immediately. We wouldn't wait a week or, or a month or three months to, to sort it out. We'd do it straight away. He said, even while I'm standing here at this site, he said, I, he said stuff rises up within me. He said, I don't know how Nakuku ever stopped the warriors carrying out Utu. But you know, it happened. Why did it happen? Because of the power of forgiveness. You know, Nakuku remembered this. He remembered that Utu was important. But he also recognized that Jesus Christ was the Utu. He is the one who paid the Christ. He gave, gave his life that we could be free, that we would no longer have to continue trying to sort these things out in our own strength. The Reverend Brown records his words like this. He said, there lies my child. She has been murdered as a payment for your bad conduct. But do not you rise up to obtain satisfaction for her. God will do that. Let this be the conclusion of the war with Rotorua. Let peace be now made. My heart is not sad for Tarori, but for you. You wished for teachers to come to you. They came, but now you are driving them away. You are weeping for my daughter, but I'm weeping for you, for myself, for all of us. Perhaps this murder is a sign of God's anger towards us for our sins. Turn to him, believe, or you will all perish. You know, this was a history-changing moment that affected this whole tribe, but was also going to affect in many other places throughout this country. The Reverend Brown said this. It said it was only the power of the Holy Spirit in the cuckoo that brought forgiveness and peace. It's the only way a heart has changed. You know, if that was the end of the story of Tarori and a gospel, that would be enough. That is amazing. A whole tribe that is no longer going into warfare and lives transformed to salvation in Jesus Christ, that would be enough. But it didn't end there. The tribe went over to Tauranga. But up in the north, slaves were being freed. Like I said, they're not European slaves, but slaves of, of the tribes in the north. And they were being set free in the early 1830s. Some of them that were freed stayed there for a couple of years and attended mission school. One of them was a slave called Reeperhau. In 1836, he started his journey to his home in Otaki. And what they would do, what he would do is they would stay at, at a marae and share the gospel and uh, fellowship with, with other Christians, and then they'd move on to another marae on their journey home. That was the way of, of moving around New Zealand in those days. And he came to the uh, pa in, in Tauranga, and he met Nakuku, he met Alfred Brown, he heard the story of Tarori. He was just incredibly moved by what he had heard. And then he continued on to Otaki, and he ended up in a marae on the shores of Lake Rotorua. And uh, he was invited into the fori of, of the chief, Uita. When he went into Uita's fori, he saw on the shelf this copy of the Gospel of Luke. And he pointed to it, and he said to Uita, do you know that's a sacred book? That is the Bible. Uita said, we have nobody here who can read. Would you read to us the words of this book that we might hear the message? So Reaperhow 
picked a copy of the Gospel of Luke up, opened the cover and saw the name Nakuku written on it. And he realized who this man was. This was the man who had murdered Tarori. He didn't say anything to him. But that night he started to read from the Gospel of Luke and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Many in the tribe were converted. Ueta himself made a decision to follow Christ. So Repahau would baptize many of the uh, people in the tribe, but he wouldn't baptize Ueta. And Ueta came to the point where he realized that he needed to do something uh, about his own situation and what he had done. And he said to Repahau, these are his words. He said, I want to follow the words of this book. I want to make Jesus my chief, but I can't do that until I do something first. I will find that girl's father and ask forgiveness for what I've done. You know, visiting Nakuku was extremely dangerous. There was an Utu against her, and he knew that principle. But he sent a messenger ahead, and he went to Tauranga and met Nakuku. A local retelling the story claims this, as the two men approached one another, tears were shed, and they embraced. After Uita humbled himself and repented, peace prevailed between the two men, and later a church was built on that spot to honor the message of reconciliation. The Reverend Brown records in his journal about that evening after they had met. He said, in the evening, they were engaged together in worshiping God at their prayer meeting and were apparently on the most friendly terms. Who but the Christian can love their enemies? Only a transformed heart by the power of the Holy Spirit can that be a possibility. If you visit a church in uh, Rotorua on the lake there, that's St. Face Anglican Church, and if you ever go to Rotorua, take a few minutes and visit it. There's a plaque on the wall that talks about how the slaves brought the message of the gospel through New Zealand. But across the drive from the church, there's a cemetery. And as you walk into the cemetery, there's a, an anchor stone, old anchor stone for a walker, cemented into the ground. And uh, that stone is a, uh, it's called Tamangari Rongo. It said, this stone commemorates the formal peace agreement in 1845 between the former warring tribes of Tauranga and Rotorua. You know, in the process of the nine years, the tribes met together on that spot and made a lasting peace treaty. You know, the story of this gospel is absolutely amazing. Remember, the Maori people say the missionaries brought Christianity to this country, but it was our people who gave it to each other. But the story didn't end there. Reaper continued and got to his own tribe in Otaki. When he was in Otaki, he met Katu, the son of the great chief Taraupraha, who, you know, is quite famous in New Zealand. And so Katu, the son, had been chosen to follow Taraupraha, trained in the methods of warfare, gone on many raids with him. But at 20 years of age, he gave his life to Jesus Christ, him and his cousin, Tafifi. They attended the, the Bible school, there in Otaki. And Repahau had come down and spent some time teaching in the Bible school. While he was there, a shipment of Bibles arrived from the Waikato and Bay of Plenty. Amongst them, amazingly, was Tarori's 
Gospel of Luke with Makupi's name written in it. Reaper Howe picked it up out of the pile of Bibles and told the story of Tarori, Nakuku, and Uita and what had happened in the north. Taraprahar's son Katu was sitting amongst the people listening to the story of the power of forgiveness and tribal warfare ending. He was convicted by the Holy Spirit that he needed to go to all of the tribes, all of the Marais on the South Island, from the top of the South Island down to Stewart Island, where with his father they had ravaged the, the, all the different pars and Marais uh, throughout all of the South Island. And uh, so he was convicted to do this. Reaper gave him the copy of uh, Tarori's uh, copy of the Gospel of Luke, and he took it with him. I can tell you what, his father was not happy that he was going to ask forgiveness to all of these tribes. But he was the young man, he was the new chief, and he went, and he did it. You know, the amazing thing is this, that every Marai he went to, every Pari he went to, he was under Utu. It was tremendously dangerous. He spent a year traveling around the coast of the South Island, asking forgiveness, creating reconciliation. When the missionaries finally came to the South Island, they found that tribal warfare had ceased and that the, uh, the tribes had almost universally received Christ and were following Christ. You know, God is a God of transformation. Whether it's for one life, one life can transform a family, one family can affect a neighborhood, a workplace, a school, a university. Ultimately, a nation can be changed and transformed. It's the power of forgiveness. What does it mean for you and me? And I just want to close briefly with this one thought. You know, don't let offense build a fence around your heart. Forgiveness is important. You know, the Lord teaches us in the Lord's Prayer that we, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive others who have sinned against us. You see, forgiveness disentangles you from people that have hurt you in the past, abused you in the past, mistreated you. Wrong things that have happened, unfair things that have happened. Unforgiveness keeps you entangled so they can still hurt you. Forgiveness is not letting someone else off the hook. It's letting you off the hook. It's creating a door of freedom so that you can reach out from that place of distrust and hurt and you can trust again and reach out and bring healing into other people's lives as well as your own. It is the power that breaks the bondage of bitterness and hurt. It's time to let that fence down. You know, if in any way there are things that just come to mind while you're sitting there uh, this morning, you know, now's the time to let that fence down. Let the wall go. Say, God, I forgive. And thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. I'm going to close with a prayer. And what I'd like us to do, I'd like us actually to all stand together because this affects every single one of us. Some of you, there may be a particular thought that you have in mind or a person or an event. And you know, so we all pray a prayer. And I'm going to ask you all just to pray out loud if you are willing to join in on this. And we're just going to pray the same words so it's not going to you know, be anything that anyone else has any you know, insight or or effects in any way. But I just believe it's important to do it 
And the other thing is this, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, this is an opportunity to receive Him and ask Him to come into your lives. Will you pray after me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You that You love me. Lord Jesus, I thank You. You paid the cost. Lord, You forgave me my sins. Lord, right now, I, I forgive you know, and if there's anyone you want to name, you just name it or, or an event or a thought and do that silently or whatever. Lord, I forgive them for what they've done. And again, I ask you to come afresh into my life. I thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated.